With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Blog Talk Radio. Everybody, welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Castillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Yeah, we had some uh, had some technical difficulties that listeners were not aware of until just now, but seems like we're all set, and it's time for another fun-filled hour worth of Syracuse sports and beer and. And talking about other teams besides Syracuse. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It feels like the season's already over, even though we have another game. I think part of that is because the UVA game kind of became one of the like things we put our, you know, once once we knew we were going to the tournament, it'd be kind of like, oh, we have this Virginia game that'll be wrapped last game at home, a uh, chance to get another big upset, and then also today's day time press conference kind of felt like a state of the union type deal. So it's kind of weird that we still have another one to play. Yeah, and I think, you know what, after a team that really fought hard all season to see us really, really get kind of leveled the last two games um, against very good teams, uh, nonetheless, still, I think if fans weren't resigned to uh, just kind of a, a meh season overall, I think, I think the last two games really, uh, really dealt us that kind of finishing blow that we uh, we expected. Yeah, and I think, being on Saturday today, like, you can be disappointed, but I think the fact of the matter with these last two games is that Virginia and Duke are two of the top five teams in the country and are better than us. So, you know, obviously we had just competed really hard with Duke and, and sort of beaten them at the Dome. Um, and Virginia had looked, you know, up until that late game that they won by, like, 40 points, they had looked pretty, uh, you know, usually looked like they could be had. But, like, they, you know, they weren't good performances by Syracuse, but they also kind of proved what the polls and what uh, most of the college basketball uh, experts have to say about those two teams. So it's disappointing because you like to think of Syracuse as a team that can play those types of teams. But, you know, this is the weakest Syracuse team since uh, Dante Green was on campus. And this is, you know, a very strong new team and uh, for any team that, is probably one of the best in program history and, and a legitimate number one seed that, uh, you know, I think he's going to make some noise in March. Virginia is wild this year. I mean, like, they're very, very good. and It's just it's insane to me that, like, given the history of, of basketball success at that program, like, just how good this season is, you know? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely not a conventional team like they – you know, they, they are we, – we saw, like, kind of the two halves of Virginia in that, in that game on Monday night. They, uh, you know, opened out and they just couldn't find the basket. And, you know, they're not a prolific off the team, but they do have moments of, like, efficiency, brilliance, uh, not unlike, like, some of the Wisconsin teams from a couple of years ago. But, man, like, when they get rolling, they can they, – they don't score a ton because of the pace of play, but they just know how to, how to beat defense. And then their defense is obviously the Right. I mean, I, I think that that defense is obviously the key, and I think most would agree there. Um, it's just it's suffocating. And, like, last year they could actually score some points, and they scored some points against us um, in that game down in Charlottesville. But, but this year it seems like, you know, points are out the window, but it's, it's 
it's just a stifling, suffocating defense this season. Um, they really just kind of chokes the life out of bad shooting teams in particular. Look at what they did to us, what they did to Pitt. Um, I mean, we haven't been good at, at scoring uh, points all year, but I think you know, it was really kind of crazy to see just how bad things got at one point uh, against the Hoos. Yeah, and, and it, the, the terrifying part is they're really good. They were a one seed last year. Uh, they're going to be a one seed this year unless something weird happens. And they pretty much don't lose anyone. Like, this team should be just as good, if not better, next year. Uh, they don't have any real NBA superstar prospects. They expect everyone back. Um, I don't see anyone who is really going to change, uh, you know. I, I don't see anyone who really projects to be an NBA star on that team. Um I'm kind of terrified of uh, what Virginia's going to be for a while now, especially because I think Tony Bennett is probably one of the ten best coaches in the country, and that might be slighted. Yeah, I mean, what happens? Like, I think if Virginia gets to the Final Four, I mean, what changes at after this season? Does does Virginia suddenly get get mentioned in in similar tones to you know a Syracuse on an annual basis? Does Tony Bennett start to get interest from, you know, power programs maybe looking to resuscitate themselves and have deep pockets? Um, you know, I, I think I think a lot, to be honest, of the, the college basketball hierarchy is kind of riding on what happens to Virginia this March. Sorry, I had to relocate for a second. I kind of agree. It's a weird thing because, you know, we don't think of Virginia as this big-time power program. Um, but I think basketball, it's easier to ascend to a level where you're not going to have the coach turnover. Uh, there's fewer players involved. So, you know, if VCU's been able to keep Shaka smart, despite some of the teams that we've heard coming after him and uh, – you know, Butler had Brad Stevens hanging around until the NBA came calling kind of unexpectedly. Virginia is a bigger program than those two. They could keep Bennett around for a while, especially if he's happy with the situation, if they decide to invest in becoming a big-time program, and that's a much cheaper thing to do than investing in a big-time football program. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think Virginia Virginia's going to keep trying that, but, but I, I don't know if it's ever going to work. Um, you know, I think it's even more – it's even more startling to see Virginia and their inability to, to ever really get it going um, versus ours. I mean, obviously they've been ranked and, and they've they've seen success, but not really consistently in, in quite some time, even further away than, than Syracuse football success. Um, and, and given the fact that Virginia has become such a recruiting hotbed for football, you would think that, they're, that they would be um, – a much bigger factor, but yet, you know, really kind of just falling off the face of the earth in part because of the schedule, um, even as they, they continue to get better talent in the door. I think basketball, as you're right, though, um, it, it is it is a lot more swift and, and a lot more manageable the process from, from a money standpoint to, to build a very good basketball program very quickly. And since they have history to lean on as well, I mean, the Ralph Sampson years and now these last couple of years, um, and obviously, just the history of being in the ACC, I think uh, we could be seeing a, a power in the making if uh, they can get kind of a long-term commitment from Bennett. Um, but I'm not so sure that this is Bennett's last stop, um, at least from my viewpoint. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Um, you know, it's uh, you know, a big-time program, like, say, Roy Williams just bounced out of UNC or decides to retire because, you know, he always looks like he's on the verge of retirement. He always looks like he's about to start crying. You know, maybe they try to pull Bennett away or a big-time program like that. But, I mean, there's not – there aren't so many programs that are going to have – that are going to be able to trump, I think, what Virginia is going to offer. And, uh, I don't know, being a top – proving that you're a top ACC power is about as good as it gets. So, if he keeps it up uh, – I think I do agree that he'll he'll get looks, but I'm not sure how many schools uh, would really be super attractive to him. I'm not sure. I'm also not sure, 
you know, when one, when Stevens was at Butler, everyone said, oh, he's going to take the Indiana job after they fire Kareem, and obviously that didn't work out. There's, there doesn't seem to be an obvious move like that for Bennett. See, I think there's one obvious move, but I don't think the opening is, is going to be there anytime soon. Um, I think the one obvious move is, is Wisconsin. Um, it's where he started his coaching career. He's from Wisconsin. I, I think that's really the one job that he could potentially take and, I mean, Bo Ryan is 67. He's not the youngest guy in the world. Um, but, and this could be projecting a bit onto the football program for the Badgers, but you have to wonder how much Wisconsin is willing to pay for a guy like Bennett. I just don't think, I mean, and they don't in football, I think the football brand is, is much more profitable. I don't think they had the money to buy him away from Virginia, and or at least won't by the time um, that Brian retires and and they're looking, you know, for the next guy in. Yeah, and he, just looking at Wisconsin football, I mean, that's a a big time uh, a big time program. Uh, they have a, a you know, it's a giant football crazy state, um, and they're not able to keep their coaches. So if 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 that's an issue for Locking down a Brett Bielema uh, or Gary Anderson, I don't know that it's going to be uh, their secondary sport going to be able to pull away Bennett from a school that can probably invest just as much in basketball if they put their mind to it because there isn't as much of a football investment um, because they apparently are going to keep Mike London there for 15 years. Or, uh, <laughs> you know, it's in you know, maybe a comparable league, but they've proven that they can be just as successful in the ACC as Wisconsin is in the Big Ten. And uh, it's a, a program that, you know, Bennett can, is, is very quickly making Virginia a basketball school. So I, I think a move to Wisconsin at the moment would be very lateral, if anything. Fair point. And so, you know, kind of pivoting from Virginia to the entire ACC, um, why don't we take a look at, and we can swing back to Syracuse, obviously, but why don't we just kind of take a look at, at the standings. Um, obviously, Virginia's wrapped up their second straight regular season title, um, but at the end of the day, those don't mean anything, especially in the ACC, um, where they actually don't count them. So, I mean, to you, is are we still are we still in agreement now that there's, that there's, a, there's a clear top three and then we've we've really got a, a muddled middle, and really I, I think because of that anything can can kind of happen, especially when two of the teams in that quote unquote middle are, are Louisville and, and North Carolina in uh, in next week's ACC tournament. Yeah, I think that's pretty much accurate. I think I think the middle is actually pretty small. I think um, you know the, the top flight of the ACCs done pretty well to to uh, set itself apart. Duke looked fantastic after a couple of weird games in the middle of their season. They're beating Wake Forest, which isn't Wake's not a good team, but they're like they're one of those teams that you feel like is is a year away from being like one of those middling teams in the ACC and they've been pretty close a couple times. And Duke is beating them by like forty five points right now. And Duke is ninety yeah, it's uh ninety four fifty one with uh, under a minute left. So Duke, Duke just seems to be peaking at the right time. Virginia has obviously done everything you want them to do. They have the one loss to Duke, but that's not a bad loss by any means. And Notre Dame, uh, I think they're not quite at the same level, but they, you know, they're 25 and five, so they probably deserve to be in the discussion. But then Louisville is just a mess. Um, I can't trust them after like it seems like the whole Chris Jones thing uh, kind of put, knocked that team off its axis a bit. Uh, and UNC has kind of been that way for like three years now where they're capable of beating anyone, um, but they're also capable of, capable of losing to just about everyone too. And they win more often than, than not, but it, it's rarely pretty. So, And then, then after that, I mean, the fact that Syracuse is going to finish in like the top, the top half of the ACC having a team like it did this year, um, maybe even finishing sixth if, uh, if, they, knock, if uh, they knock off NC State this weekend, it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, I, I think that it, it speaks to Syracuse, but at the same time, I think it speaks to how easy the early schedule was, and on top of that, how how kind of wacky the the entire conference was. I mean, like we said, there was the three upper crust schools, and then 
uh, I think the middle goes from Louisville all the way down to possibly Clemson. Um, and that kind of, you know, is indicative of, of how you have such a, such a really high mark uh, with UVA and Duke and Notre Dame. You have such a really low, low floor with BC, Georgia Tech, and Virginia Tech. And then everybody else, um, you know, like, like we said, is kind of capable of beating anyone else uh, on any given night. Um, but for Syracuse to finish potentially sixth is, to me, a pretty great accomplishment um, for a school that, you know, has nothing to play for in the postseason, um, had to deal with, with a really big injury. And it's something that um, was swept under the rug even more, I think, by the sanctions. Well, not sanctions, but our, our own self-imposed ban. Um, but the loss of Chris McCullough, you know, can never – will never be viewed appropriately for this team because of, of the postseason ban, when in reality, like, it was a major factor, and it's something, again, that was just completely ignored by, I feel like, a lot of people uh, throughout the season as SU started to struggle a little bit in conference play. Not only that, but people act like Coleman's not even on the team. And, like, based on what Bayham said today, it does seem like he was in the plan heading into the season, and they thought he was going to be able to play, so, like, his impact with Matolo, those are two guys. I mean, we haven't really seen Coleman at 100% ever. Um, he only really played a lot his freshman year, and he's missed time every season. But those are two very capable front court players, two former five-star guys. And we missed most, both of them for, you know, Coleman obviously didn't play at all and, and Matolo for half the year. So the injury issue started before the season even began, and people, like, have totally sucked them under the rug because I think you're right, because of the tournament. Um, the tournament ban and just to Coleman, I think people who aren't serious fans forget about him. That's definitely true. And I think it's something, you know, uh, I think we talked about during football season too, that it just feels like uh, when it comes to SU sports, and, and I'm sure there's other schools go like this, to be honest, because I feel like I do it myself. Um, people seem, seem to forget um, some of those injuries. Um, and yeah, I, I think that you know, I think even some SU fans forget the injuries and forget just how good this team can be uh, can be next year and, and how miraculous it was that they, and Beheim brought it up today, how miraculous it was that they, they won the game they did just because of, you know, a ton of effort and, and, and a ton of, you know, won't quit type attitude. Yeah, and obviously the big talking point going forward up until probably April or whenever the truth after the two, uh, finally decide is going to be the Thomas Bryant slash someone has to leave who's going to leave thing. I feel really uncomfortable talking about it just because I think we've, you know, while, while I mean, the two obvious names are B.J. Johnson and Ron Patterson, they both played a, a decent amount uh, this season. I think they both had moments. Um, they both play hard, and they both obviously really like being part of the team. So, obviously, we saw on the football side of things kind of the shady underbelly that people don't like to talk about of college sports. And while – you know, Thomas Bryant's a huge player right in Syracuse's backyard. Uh, all indications from, like, what his mom has said and everything else. Seems like if we have the spot, he'll come here. Um, but it's really weird to talk about running a kid, uh, a kid off the team. And, you know, if that happens, it wouldn't totally shock me. You know, we got to play the game. But, uh, obviously, the McCullough bullet was also in the chamber in terms of people saying, oh, maybe he'll still test the water as well. Uh, anyway, he'd probably be a second-round pick even with the injury. So now he's coming back. Um, as much as I'd like to see Thomas Bryant come to the team, and I do think he'd be an upgrade over probably one of those two guys, if only because we've, you know, they're they're going to be juniors, and who knows if they'll ever really explode. Um, it, it's a weird thing to me because, you know, part of you, since you know these kids aren't being paid, you want to kind of still treat them like they are uh, amateur athletes in some respect. Um, but if one of them wants to leave, then that is a whole different discussion. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. Yeah, I mean, out of those two, obviously, we'll talk about it too much, but obviously Boss is a, a larger candidate to lead if only because of the issues, not outward issues. I mean, we've seen more issues with Behan and players, but um, because of some issues with just him taking too many shots and Behan really not being pleased with certain aspects of his game here and there, um, and, you know, B.J. Johnson's kind of recent, um, you know, surge kind of helps him his case out um i mean a lot of su fans have seemed to think 
even without a transfer, that they'll find a way to get Brian in the door. I don't doubt that. But, but again, I think that largely depends on, you know, what else is coming from the NCAA. Um, I mean, even if one of those guys left, if we lose scholarships for next year, it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think Brian's status will that suddenly I don't think we for next year. Um, I think Carlton, in that piece that Chris Carlton did, he said, like, if, if scholarships wouldn't uh, impact the following season just because uh, things are still, like, in motion in terms of who's going to be around. So if they – you know, if they were to propose a scholarship ban on a team that was already full, like we would be, um, even without Brian, like what would you do? Kick the kid off scholarship? So I think that probably won't be a play an impact in whatever happens. Very fair. I do remember that now. Um, so I mean, for me, I, I guess it really just depends on, you know, from there, like. If Bryant decides to come in, like, will Beheim figure out something to, to move some people around? It just everyone seems confident. I don't seem as confident. Um, and again, I, I hope it doesn't come to somebody transferring. I know Bus already dealt with enough nonsense back with Indiana when they pulled the scholarship, and but we'll see. Um, again, obviously, you want everybody currently in the door coming in the door. Uh, to be successful and, and to be at the place that, that fits right for them. And I just hope that, that that's what occurs at the end of the day. Yeah, and it'll work itself out. I mean, if we don't get Brian, it's not the end of the world. I think this team is going to be very good, um, at least potentially very good next year uh, if everyone's healthy. And the class that we already have is, is the top four class. So it's not like Syracuse's you know, future is hinging on Thomas Bryant. Obviously, he'd be a really nice piece. He's a you know four or five star power forward, depending on where you look. He's a very good player, but uh, so is Mustafa Jang, so is Malachi Richardson, and these guys still, aside from point guard, where I think Caleb will get better. Uh, I don't know if that means he'll be you know an all time great Syracuse point guard by next year, but um, aside from that, I mean every other hole that the, the roster has right now is kind of being addressed for next season with the process as it is now. And, you know, Brian, it's time to cherry on top. But if we don't get him, I hope people don't freak out about it and then hold it over a bus or BJ Pett all year because that would be completely unfair. Very much agree. And I guess, to me, I think the worst part of not getting Brian isn't even not getting him. It's that Kentucky probably gets him, <laughs> at least in my eyes. Yeah, I – it seems like they're hanging around even after his mom had that whole thing about how she really didn't seem to like Kentucky, um, but she also didn't really seem to like Indiana, which is the other school. So it's kind of bizarre. It, it seems like it, it's being held out for Syracuse, and while they won't commit to that because they can't, um, obviously SU seems to make the most sense on a number of levels. So uh, it would actually be almost be more interesting from a neutral perspective if Syracuse doesn't open up. Uh, to see what he chooses, because then maybe he tries to get a lot of other schools involved. Or Kentucky's just an easy choice, and then maybe he just ends up there. Also fair. So I guess, and this is kind of really far-reaching, but um, knowing kind of what we, at least at least making the assumptions that everyone seems to have been making for a couple months now about certain players leaving and not uh, – a preliminary, like very preliminary, not even worth more than a few seconds, top five next year. Um, if all things kind of shake out the way we think they do for, for all teams. Sorry, can you repeat that? I was just saying, obviously, I don't want to spend too much time on this. It's super, super preliminary. But if you were to kind of gauge like a top five next year, um, who would be in that 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 small group that would that would be the the odds-on title contenders going into the 2015-16 season? Oh, um, well, Kentucky, just because uh, they're Kentucky, I do think they'll lose more this year. Um, but they have such a class forever that I, I think they'll they'll be kicking around somewhere. It's impossible to tell until like these last few people thought their entire roster would leave and they didn't. So. It's hard to know, but I think that they will have more attrition this season, but it's, it's stupid to bet it into at this point. 
Um, I really like Virginia, like I said earlier, and they should have pretty much everyone back. Um, I'm doing this completely off the top of my head, so it's it's not the easiest easiest thing in the world here. Uh, Duke, I think, hinges on Tyus Jones. I think Okafor's obviously is going to leave. Jones can, but he's like a a really small point guard that doesn't usually get a lot of play in the NBA. I think he's great. Um, But he and and Tyler Eulitz on Kentucky are like the two guys that are unbelievable college players, but I don't know how they translate or if people get scared that they're, you know, sub six feet. Um, And then, so so I'm, I'm punting on them too. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other really good young teams. I don't know. Who do you have uh, up there? I'll try to think a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, uh, just going through some things, I'll say Kentucky, but I'll put them kind of at the bottom of that five. Um, I'm going to put Syracuse up there, not just because it's a homer pick, but because we obviously have the talent to meet in the door. Uh, Virginia, like you said, um, I'm going to go with Maryland. Uh, I think that, that Maryland suddenly, because of the outgoing talent mm-hmm. at, at a lot of uh, Big Ten schools, suddenly finds itself uh, at the top of that conference next year um, and could be poised to, for a really nice run. Um, and then outside of that, I'll be honest, uh, one and really one wild card uh, could be SMU. Um, I mean, they're going to suffer from the same thing that any um, American athletic conference team does, which is just strength of schedule, um, especially at the bottom of that league. But I don't know. I, I see SMU as, as a school that could that could really find itself kind of in a top five to ten conversation. Uh, I think that that could get very interesting. Uh, I throw UCLA in there kind of as another wild card. Uh, I mean, obviously the Bruins just struggle to really get their shit together, um, especially since, you know, those, those three straight final fours, things just to get to, to really gel, and especially with Steve Alford, which I, I think he's already kind of on thin ice. Um, here in L.A., you can tell people are just pissed. Uh, same thing with Andy Enfield at USC, to be honest. Everyone's really pissed off into the state of, of uh, L.A. college basketball. Um, but I think UCLA right now, uh, the fact that they're even contending for an at-large bid, this season, um, with with the young guys that they have, I think this is really a bit of a transition year for them. And I think with another top class coming in, you'll see the Bruins kind of return to the top uh, top ten to fifteen range. But you know, if, if the cards fall right, that's when they get into that top five conversation. Yeah, UCLA's a nice call. Um, Maryland, I love this year. I don't know who will be on that team next year. I think um, Tremble proudly as it is gone and. Uh, Des Wells, he a senior. Um, I'm not sure what Des Wells' senior so. is. Yeah, so I don't know. I think they're they're really talented, but those two guys uh, drive the drive the bus. Um, they're actually, if anyone is uh, of a uh, gambling mindset, they are for some reason 66 to one to win the NCAA tournament, uh, which is crazy. <laughs> they can end up. Would anyone be shocked if they ran the Big Ten tournament and ended up as a two seed? I I wouldn't. Um, they were by far the I think the best value pick uh, based on those like 58 teams that Bavada put out today. Um, some other ones, uh, Villanova. I actually thought they had more seniors than they do. Uh, Hilliard and Pinkston, who has been there since about 1999, uh, are the only two scholarship seniors as far as I can tell, uh, and they're both good. But they're like, next year they'll have Josh Hart back. They'll have Archie Diakno back. Uh, they'll have Chase back. They have Dylan Ennis back. That's going to be another uh, a really good team again next year, I think. Um, I have no faith in Tom Green, but Indiana is super talented. Uh, I think Yogi Ferrell is only a junior. I actually thought he was a senior. There's no seniors on that roster, um, and they are they. The fact that they are 1911 is kind of ridiculous because they really have the talent to be a top 15 team this year. Um, and I think they will lose uh, probably like a Troy Williams, um, maybe Stanford Robinson, uh, although I don't think he's had such a monster season, but obviously people are in love with him. Oh, no, he's only had three points a game, so he hasn't really done much. But you have you have a lot of young guys there who are big-time recruits. You have a lot of guys who are, are putting together good individual seasons, Ian Blackman. Um, 
So if Green can, you know, figure out how to coach that team well, which is asking a lot of him, that could be a, <laughs> a scary roster next year. Um, and then I think some of the ones you covered are, are pretty good bets, too. Um, Arizona's really young, but I think they'll lose a couple guys. Um, I like what Arkansas is doing. Uh, their system's always fun, and they seem to really be emerging this year, all despite that awful game in uh, Kentucky over the weekend. But I think there should be some really fun teams next year. Um, it's, hard, it's always impossible to tell, though, because if you had asked us at this time, you know, with only a week left in the regular season, we would have said, oh, we're going to be amazing this year. We have Ennis and, and Brandt coming back. And this is when Ennis and Brandt had already done most of the work to get them to become draft picks. So uh, right. it, it, it's not the best question. It's not the best time for that question, but I, I do think you kind of have a sense of who, for the most part, has a sense of coming back, uh, which makes what happened to Syracuse last year even more, like, ridiculous. And, and it's more... Yeah, it makes more sense why SU struggled this year. I'm looking at the, the 2015 recruiting class rankings right now. It's pretty wild, like, some of the schools um, up in these conversations. You know, like, I mean, obviously your Kentuckys and Arizonas are up there, as, as are we and, and Duke and Florida and Louisville. But some real, I mean, and, and I knew about most of these going in, but, I mean, A&M ranked third in the ESPN uh, rankings right now, LSU sixth, Florida State seventh. Um, I mean, Marquette manages to be in this conversation. Washington, um, as well as Oregon and Oregon State, um, both in there. So, yeah, this could be uh, – I mean, there's no there's no givens, obviously, but, you know, some interesting schools. Uh, I mean, you see, like, a school like Kansas really get far down there, while, while some schools like Virginia Tech and Wake and Temple are actually in the top 40, um, which is – you know, at least, I mean, for me, I, I obviously, keeping the status quo in college basketball only serves to help Syracuse, just like the the status quo in college football only serves to help the Alabamas and and, uh, and Floridas and, and USC's of the world. Um, but in college basketball, it is at least interesting to see uh, this type of stuff happen, especially in the SEC, where I think right now Kentucky's just kind of sitting by themselves and really needs some challengers, which is why I, I do cast some doubt on on whether or not they can they can find their way uh, through the tournament unscathed. Yeah, uh, I actually forgot LSU. That's a really good call because they bring in Ben Simmons, who is the top recruit in the country. I think they have another top 20 guy coming in. And they're not that bad this year. They're a pretty decent team. So I think they – I don't think they'll be a top five team the whole season, but they're going to be one of those, like, super talented young teams that scare people. Uh, but, yeah, Kentucky – all season, I've—I I mean, they're the best team. There's no question. I've thought pretty consistently that they're going to lose, and it's hard. It, I don't think the SEC is going to beat them at this point. I thought, you know, they've—they've they've, they've taken like four or five really good shots, uh, and no one's been able to finish. Um, and it's all from different teams. Georgia, obviously, last night uh, totally collapsed when they should have had the game. A and M early in the season, Ole Miss early in the season. So. Um, you know, maybe they slip up, in the, slip up in the SEC tournament. I know they kind of have a history of doing that. I think Vanderbilt beat them the year they uh, won the title. Um, they don't, you know, but they probably don't care too much about doing that unless they really care about this undefeated thing. But it does, it does concern me. I'm not usually one to buy into, like, they have to lose type thing. But it does seem like they've kind of played uh, played with fire more often than people are talking about because some of these SEC rosters that are not nearly as talented have taken them to the to the edge. So the tournament, I still think they deserve to be the odds-on favorite to win the tournament, and you know maybe at the end of the day that's who I pick. But it feels like you know the odds uh, in terms of like a game-to-game basis, they're going to start playing harder teams uh, from outside the SEC as the tournament progresses and once the thing really opens up for them. Um, it's hard to imagine them going 40 straight and winning, and they're they're not an unflawed team. They're not perfect. They're amazing defensively, but they're all, their jump shooting pretty average. Um, they're bigger than everyone, but you know there have been teams that have dealt with that. Last night, Georgia's uh, power forward had a great game. Um, so it's weird. I, I don't think it's wise to bet against them, but it just doesn't feel like they're so good that they should be able to run the table and everyone else should just bow down. It, that, all the evidence is, is going against me because no one, no one's been able to 
pull it off yet. Agreed. All right, I guess it's a good time, as any, to, to jump into some beer quick before we uh, do some more tournament talk and, 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 and the usual that we kind of uh, kind of close out here with. So uh, what have you been drinking lately? Um, right now, I I went to the store yesterday morning to pick up uh, some stuff. Um, I ended up, because I needed to complete my build, uh, build your own sip pack, I picked up a... Uh, Ace Pineapple Hard Cider. I don't usually, I don't drink a lot of ciders, but it just kind of caught my eye because I didn't realize there were pineapple ones. Um, it's interesting. It's not that great. I think it's too sweet. Um, but they seem to be trying a lot of stuff with the cider, which is cool if you feel like that. Uh, recently, I had, um, uh, I found somewhere that had Bell's Two Hearted Ale, which is always, you know, rock solid IPA. Um so I had a couple of those over the weekend. Bells um, is actually out here now, surprisingly. Oh, well, so yeah. I, I don't remember seeing them outside of like the times I went to the Carolinas, and now it seems like I've seen them at a couple different bars. Um, also from Bells, I had their Hop Slam, uh, which is a double IPA. Uh, also really good. Um, obviously quite hoppy, but it also had a really nice like citrusy kind of finish, uh, so it didn't have the super bitterness uh, after after each sip, which is nice. Um, and then one of one of the, you know, I kind of just took a, a shot in the dark at, um, I had a, a Belgian triple called a Castile triple from uh, some Belgian brewery <laughs> that I can't pronounce at all. Um, really delicious. Uh, 11% alcohol by volume, which is great. Um, there's also at the end of the night, so probably not the wisest decision, but I didn't I really know what I was drinking. I just kind of saw it half for it, and I was like, I want to try that. Uh, and it worked out. I, I like triples a lot, so I it was a pretty you know, decent bet that it'd be good. But, um, yeah, if you if you find that out somewhere, go give it a try. It, it's really nice. Very nice. Uh, a couple things I've been drinking. Uh, Modern Times is doing their uh, seasonal IPAs. Uh, sorry for everyone that right now Modern Times is pretty much uh, – just in California, they recently uh, Northern California, and they're out in Maui um, now via Stone Distribution Channels out there with Maui Brewing Company. Uh, so their uh, seasonal IPA, Blooming Rollers, uh, really good citrus focused um, IPA comes in four pack cans. Very very good stuff. Um, I highly recommend people find a way to acquire it via trade if they can't get local access to it. Um, yeah, I'm happy drinking some uh, some beer camp hoppy lager, which I think I mentioned last week too. I uh, we were up in Big Bear uh, where it was snowing about two hours away from here um, over the weekend. So my friends and I grabbed a, a 24 pack from Costco. So that was a was a good investment, at least in my mind. Um, on the way back, uh, headed over to Hangar 24 uh, Brewery. Over in uh, Redlands, grabbed the Amarillo Pale Ale. Uh, not the best Pale Ale I've ever had, but at the same time, like uh, definitely did the trick. It definitely got those Amarillo hops. Uh, I thought it was it was well balanced, uh, easy to drink, definitely enjoyable for those who, who see that one. And again, mentioned this one before, but Grapefruit Sculpin is is absolutely excellent. And and I would say anyone who can find it, acquire it, do so because um, while nothing tops at least IPA-wise. I, I still am just a, a Sculpin loyalist. Uh, Grapefruit Sculpin is a very, very nice take on, on the same style. Good stuff. I look forward to uh, our beer exchange that's been long in the making, mostly because <laughs> I moved to New York and kind of lost my you know, way for a little bit. Totally fine. Your, your brewery uh, pumpkin ale will be and root shortly. Yes, and it's such a good time for pumpkin too. March. <laughs> yeah, it's still pretty cold by you. <laughs> no, it works. I actually saw it when I was buying stuff yesterday. Um, in the uh, in the the beer aisle, Brooklyn Brewery has a really good pumpkin. There, uh, I think it's Post Road Pumpkin, and they are still stocking it. So apparently, they're just like, we're just going to make this all year because people like it. So that works. Yeah, I found a lot of that myself. I've seen a lot of Christmas and uh, and pumpkin stuff out um, on shelves. 
and then it's not, it doesn't look like it's it's just old either. It looks like it's actually like newer stuff that that that's in stock just because of demand. Yeah, uh, and just spoiler alert: you're getting uh, stuff from from Captain Lawrence, which is uh, Westchester, uh, one of my favorite breweries around here. Um, and then I got you a, a nice bid bottle from from Brooklyn. So should be a. I'm not sure if you have you had the the Brooklyn's uh, uh, what's it called on the Rossi Ace. I have not, though I did have, I think I mentioned it during last week's podcast, I had the Sriracha Ace Showers um, from Noble Ale Works out here, and I was really, I was, I was surprised by how much I, I enjoyed it. So I, I, I've heard interesting things about Sriracha Ace, so I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Yeah, so I got you uh, one of those from, from Brooklyn. Uh, I, I had it when I went to the brewery back in the fall. Uh, I don't remember specifically what I liked about it, but I know I did like it. I gave it a good rating on, on, on tap. Um, and I know that you've been kind of drinking a decent amount of Saisons, so hopefully that'll uh, be right up there for you. Yeah, I'm jazzed, man. Thanks. No problem. Yeah, I guess moving away from beer, I know that it's only a small majority of the people that listen to the show for that, uh, do a little uh, little bracketology. I thought about lacrosse, but I think I think there'll be plenty of time for lacrosse as the season wears on. I think we should keep this to basketball as uh, as that season finds its way to wrap up first. So as per usual, Dan and I sit around with the uh, most recent bracketology uh, stuff from from Joe Lenardi. Not the end all be all, but just an easy way to kind of quickly look at the brackets, the season teams that could get upset and give everybody some uh, some almost too honest takes on, on what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm good to go here, so let's uh, dive in. Awesome. Well, uh, starting with the Midwest, um, Kentucky gets gets a bit of a cakewalk in the first two rounds. Um but I'll be honest. If I'm them, I'm seeing I'm seeing North Carolina uh, as a five, uh, and, and that's that's a scary proposition. Um, if I'm the Wildcats, it's like we said, uh, the Tar Heels can beat anybody anywhere. They can also lose to anybody anywhere. So for all we know, they lose to Murray State. Um, I, I think this is a pretty odd, slash simple bracket. Uh, you got the uh, you got the Indiana gang uh, down in that Columbus. Um, Sub region Butler, Purdue, and Notre Dame all in a, all in the same sub bracket. There, um, I see some upset potential. Um, I think LSU can beat San Diego State, but if San Diego State gets through, I could see them challenging Wisconsin. Um, I still think you're likely looking at a Kentucky Wisconsin uh, elite eight here, but North Carolina has, has should have the Wildcats and upset alert. Also, just like last week, I'm gonna call bullshit on on Wisconsin being. The, uh, the worst two seed, yeah, which is just <laughs> not at all the case. If you look at literally any other bracketology, does not have that being the case because following the S curve, uh, Wisconsin is probably at worst the second um, two seed. Just to have them here just seems silly, but we're playing by Lenardi's rules here, so I, so I guess we'll play along. Um, my picks, Kentucky, Wisconsin, though, again, I, I'm, I could very easily be, be talked into a Tar Heels upset in the, uh, in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I'm going the same way for the Elite Eight just because because I think those are two of the, the best six teams. Um, they're both obviously tournament ready. They both made a run for the Final Four last year. Um, they're stacked rosters. Uh, Wisconsin definitely not going to be in Kentucky's bracket unless they lose another weird game or two. Uh, especially when you look at Gonzaga still hanging on to a two seed in the Duke South region, which we'll get to. Um, the the, the Lenardi is really cute when he puts these things together. He put Ohio State and Xavier in the first game, um, which is is just like you know pretty obvious. Like oh, we're pushing the the what if these two Ohio teams play, and then the Columbus pod he has Butler, Purdue, and Notre Dame, which is just a ridiculous thing to do. But you know I could see the selection committee doing it just because. They do like to try those storylines. Uh, he also puts the possibility of the Kentucky-North Carolina game 
um, and also a Kentucky-Wichita State rematch. So lots of storyline working from Lenardi here. Um, I'd be very sad to see uh, D'Angelo Russell go out in the second round. He is, I think Des Wells is probably pushing it a little bit, but he's one of my two or three favorite non-Syracuse players in college basketball right now. Um, but I don't think that roster is nearly good enough to stand up to Kentucky, even if well, even if uh, if Russell drops like 30 points, which he does pretty regularly, it seems like. Uh, UNC, like you said, I, I mean, Marcus Page should go crazy, but I just don't see anyone here standing up to Kentucky. Um, Wisconsin, I think, could give them problems because Wisconsin can shoot the ball like crazy. Uh, and maybe Notre Dame if they were absolutely scorching the net. But I just can't see Notre Dame defending Kentucky in, inside. Um, ultimately, with Kentucky and Wisconsin are the two best teams, the two most balanced teams. Uh, so, unfortunately, we're being boring, and I think we're both taking the, the ones and twos there. Yeah, and again, like we said, that's that's more a, a product of, of what Lenardi did than, than what we see happening. I mean, chalk rarely sticks for as long as it looks like it will in that bracket. Um, going over to the east, um, Virginia obviously gets through. I honestly... Both the Dayton and St. John's matchups, I don't I don't think that Virginia loses to either of those teams, but at the same time, I think both teams could potentially cause issues for Virginia. Um, I think Arkansas was around well, – Arkansas has moved up a bit since, uh, since last week. Arkansas is another team. I actually think Virginia uh, gets a really raw deal here. Um, I think that they're obviously the second-best team in the country, but then you look at – uh, teams like Dayton and St. John's and Arkansas and Northern Iowa, and all of them seem uh, primed to upset someone. Um, so I'm going to take Virginia in the top part of this, but um, I think even more strongly than the North Carolina Kentucky potential upset, uh, I can definitely see Arkansas uh, knocking off a, a team like Virginia just because uh, they find a, a way to shoot the ball really well. Um down the bottom half of this one, you can pencil in that that Tulsa upset at Georgetown because absolutely. <laughs> I, I got Maryland uh, beating everybody in this bracket, to be honest. I, I think Maryland is, is definitely the best team in, in this section here. Um, I, I'd also contend that VCU beats Kansas, um, leading to a, what I think would be a highly entertaining uh, Maryland VCU game in the uh, in the Sweet 16, but I, I, yeah, I think I think Maryland Virginia is a really fun uh, East Regional Final. Uh, it sounds like a good bet, but I, I think there's a lot of uh, there's a much more perilous road for for the Who's getting there than there is for uh, the Terps. I kind of agree. Um, you both both come out as Maryland fans, which is weird considering. You can into this podcast for any any time over the past <laughs> few years. Maryland has been F a Maryland. popular program, <laughs> but here we are because eventually good basketball and fun teams to watch went out. Uh, Virginia, I agree. Dayton, St. John's, um, Dayton's very good. St. John's isn't very good, but they are very talented. So I don't love that matchup. Although I think. Virginia would beat either team in probably a really ugly game. Um, I am kind of rooting for a Virginia-Arkansas game just because you have the team that wins by deliberation versus the team that's probably the fastest playing or the fastest tempo in the power conferences. I think Virginia would beat them pretty handily just as I trust them to impose their style of play over Arkansas doing the same. Uh, I think it would be an interesting one. I'm not sold in Northern Iowa. Uh, that Wichita game was kind of uh, – I thought that kind of exposed them a bit. Um, Georgetown Tulsa is interesting. Uh, I agree. Uh, I think Georgetown is probably, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's crazy to take them, but except, you know, I've seen Georgetown play in the tournament for the last couple of years. But Maryland definitely gets an easy uh, three or four there. Um, I actually think Kansas probably gets a harder one. A&M is legitimately pretty scary. Uh, VCU is VCU. They always show up in the tournament. So I, I don't think I see Kansas getting out of uh, the second round if this is if this is the pairing they get. Um, obviously, they'd have a better chance of beating an A and M, but Kansas like they they keep on winning games and credit to them for that. But they're just 
not impressive to me at all. Um, so, I, again, I'm going to ring with you. Virginia and Maryland, um, I like both of those teams a lot. It would kind of suck that one of them couldn't go to the Final Four. Um, but, I don't know, it's an interesting bracket. I, I, I think Virginia does get kind of a raw deal because uh, it's unless, you know, you're going by seeding, in which case, you say, you know, oh, Kansas will beat them in the Elite Eight, and I think Virginia would beat them pretty handily. But I don't see them going very far this year. That's completely fair. And I think the, the one counter, although I, like you said we agree, I think is that Kansas, because they're winning games like this, is the only reason that I, I would even entertain them as a team that goes far is because they are winning tournament-style games over and over again versus their usual Big 12 slate where I feel like they just kind of steamrolled everybody um, and, and then walked through a tournament unscathed every year. Uh, it, it seems like the Jayhawks are playing a tournament style. I mean, I mean, the last night's game against West Virginia was, was a miracle, um, to me anyway, and, and I think that they do seem more primed to win, but I don't know if they have the talent to do it. And, and again, if it's the teams that are that are down there, the VCUs and A and Ms of the world are, are sitting there waiting for them in, in round two. Um, and I, I think Jayhawks could forget about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with all that. Um, I'm looking at the West now, and poor poor Villanova. <laughs> Although I don't know. I mean, I don't think Villanova is a one seed, but I guess at this point, who else is? I don't know. I, I think the bottom part of this region isn't too bad, but the top, like, I I, I don't know. I, I think Villanova is probably the best team on paper out of this group, but this is a gauntlet space. Um, I guess I can just turn it off. Ole Miss and NC State, um, two very game teams to both be Villanova. NC State, one of those, like, underachieving teams that, you know, it, they a lot like last year. They didn't play well all year. They came on late, uh, won a couple of games with them and stuff in the tournament, and then, you know, um, they're just a team that all wants to play. Uh, we saw what Nova did in this R zone, um, which, you know, it was they should have lost. Baylor's zone isn't quite as good, but they are long as hell. Uh, I don't – I think Iona would beat Louisville, um, but Louisville's obviously a trouble team for a lot of people, especially if they don't play them often. And then Iona's really good on their own. Um so I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I take. I, I'd probably go with Baylor here. I, I just seem. It seems like Baylor's a little less unpredictable than they usually are, um, and they're, they're one of those teams that seems like they are due to bounce back to like an elite eight at some point soon. And then uh, from the bottom, based on pure talent, I, I, I talked about it earlier. I think Indiana's a super talented team. Um, but they're an 11 seed in a playing game, and that's because their coach is terrible. Uh, Providence is an interesting team. I don't really trust them. I think Indiana would get through Colorado State and them. Oklahoma, um, they're, you know, they do what they need to do. They're, they've kind of just reliably won games they're supposed to, and that's why they're a three seed. They're not totally they're not a very sexy pick, I don't think. Uh, and then I think Arizona has a really easy road. I'm not afraid of Iowa, Cincinnati, or New Mexico State. So, I kind of want to be daring and take Indiana out of the bottom, but I, you know, I've seen Tom Crane in the tournament. It's not pretty, uh, unless he has Dwayne Wade, which he doesn't, uh, as far as I know. Um, so I'm going to go with Arizona and Baylor. Um, although again, Arizona is the same thing. I don't love picking them. They are very young and they've shown it at times this year. But I, I trust him more than I trust the other coach. I trust Sean Miller a little more than the other coaches. I think there. So and then Oklahoma. I just, don't they don't I don't fall in love with them as a three seed. So Arizona Baylor is what I'm going with. You know, I, I could completely blow up this entire bracket to be perfectly honest. Like it's just you look at those playing games and, and the scary thing is I think Temple, BYU, Colorado State, and Indiana are all capable of uh of really messing with some teams' hopes. I also don't know. I mean, granted, this is not based on anything, but I doubt they could both play in games in the same bracket. Um, so, again, we'll move credit with Lenardi. Um, but you know what? I, I'm i going to be honest. I see Iona getting out of this top half. 
I, uh, I, I I wouldn't be like I would I'd be surprised, but it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world. I own a I own a the blast, and that I own a Louisville game would be a lot of fun. It'd be a lot of fun. I say I own obviously winning that one. Um, I think that State could probably beat Nova, and then if if that happens, then then all bets are off. I think Iona finds themselves in the elite. I also think that Iona could potentially find themselves on the 12 line, or should find themselves in the 12, maybe even the 11 line uh, when it's all said and done. I think 13 might be a little uh, low for them. At least, you know, if you ask me, and and we are here, even though most wouldn't, um, I'd say Iona could probably be an 11 or a 12. Um, And and that's just unfortunate for a team like Louisville that really really could use some... uh, some assistance uh, when they're just not up to snuff uh, from some some previous Cardinals teams, as uh, as, as we kind of noted over and over again. Um, so yeah, I'll take Iona in that top half, and then I, I like your Indiana pick, but I'm because they could do it. But I, I think Arizona is just just far and away the best team in this this bottom section. I mean Providence. If they were seeded differently in a different bracket, um, maybe it happened. I think Indiana is more talented than them, and Colorado State, and probably Oklahoma. Um, yeah, I, I'd take Arizona, Iona, which uh, which then would give the Wildcats um, a quick spot in the uh, in the Final Four. Yeah, that that was kind of the def- defining thing for me. Like, I think Indiana and Arizona. are Similarly talented, I think Arizona's probably at a slight edge there, but I don't think it's that much. But I know Sean Miller's kind of gotten knocked a little bit for for not having broken through as, uh, with Arizona yet. But Sean Miller's a much more reliable coach than Tom Creighton, and I just think that you know eventually he's going to do some big things with Arizona. So that was kind of my same thinking. I would agree. All right, over to the uh, the South. Um, as is typical of Duke, uh, they get a very down Bucknell team, but, you know, not down enough to not win the Patriot League. Um, you get Georgia and Oklahoma State, uh, neither of whom I believe in, but because of the really, really bad – I mean, it's not even a bad bubble. It's just the large bowl this year is just awful. Um, due to that, you got two very flawed teams in the 8-9, and, nine, and and either of them are going to get run through the buzzsaw by Duke um, you got Utah kind of floundering a little bit lately. Um, and despite the fact that I picked Utah to make the Final Four several times on this podcast, um, I I can't buy into it. If this is a setup, um, I'd almost – I mean, I, I entertain the idea of Louisiana Tech upsetting them, but I, I do see West Virginia getting through and chasing Duke in a really, really nice uh, Sweet 15 game and potentially even pulling the upset there. Um, I think SMU could be a year away, um, and, and despite the fact that, that I think that in a different bracket setup, again, like if, if if you told me SMU was facing Oklahoma, I'd probably pick the, the Mustangs over there, but against your beloved Iowa State Cyclones, I, uh, I can't move them on. Um, I also think they could be challenged a little bit by the Boise State Broncos, uh, you look down at that Seattle bracket and, and you know, the typical Tom Izzo in the tournament, uh, round two, if Michigan State can, can can get past Oregon, which the way Oregon's playing lately, I'm not so sure. Uh, but Michigan State against Gonzaga, uh, I, got, I got Tom Izzo far and away taking that one. And then, again, typical BS with Michigan State. I, I could see Michigan State pulling an upset um, out of their ass against against Iowa State and potentially find themselves um, in, in what could end up being a wacky uh, Elite Eight in the South. Um, if not for if not Duke and Michigan State, you could very well see West Virginia and Michigan State, um, a matchup of two teams that have no business playing for a Final Four berth. Yeah, I, I like West Virginia. Um, they should have won last night at Kansas. Um, and we've talked about Utah, but I kind of agree. Like, they... Both of those teams had big opportunities to win games in the last four days, and both kind of blew it down the stretch. Um, ultimately, 
I was very tempted to take West Virginia over Duke. I'm going to take Duke just because they're, they just seem to more proven that they can close out games um, where uh, WVU, Georgia, uh, both shown that they struggle. Utah, I don't think, has quite the firepower where they uh, knock off Duke. I, do, I think Utah and West Virginia would be one of those games where either West Virginia streaked by or Utah just, like, totally shut them out. Like, last night, West Virginia didn't score a two-point basket for a 25-minute stretch to end the game, I believe, maybe more than that. They scored threes, and then they, you know, floundered at the free throw line, but hit a couple of those. Um, so that's a really interesting one. In the bottom, um, I think everyone who's listened uh, the last couple of weeks knows how I feel. I agree with Izzo out of the out of the Seattle pod there. Uh, I'm taking my beloved uh, Iowa State Cyclones out of the Louisville pod. I'm taking Iowa State to beat Michigan State. I'm taking Iowa State to beat Duke. I mean, I, I, I could see it. I could definitely see it. Um, I mean, this kind of would be the year. I'll, I'll always be mad at the Cyclones for, I think it was 04? Maybe 04 when I picked them to to get to the final four and they just totally screwed me. Um, and, and that kind of blew up my pool uh, that year. I, I was a good idiot who picked two Big 12 teams, picked them and Oklahoma State to get in. Um, and, and obviously got, got pretty badly burned there. Um, also picked who the hell did I pick that year was that a UConn year that was a UConn year right? yep. yeah it was I had them going to the final four last year and instead they found a way to lose to UConn despite uh, Doug uh, what's Doug Hogue's brother uh, oh I know you're talking about Doug Hogue's brother uh, scored yeah. about, I think, like 37 points in that game and, and grabbed like 12 rebounds. Um, uh, it sounds like I'm exaggerating, and it's it's not – I'm not really – it's Dustin Hoke. Uh, I'm not really exaggerating too much. Um, I'm going to look it up while I, you know, go on here. But, uh, again, I like, like you, I should hold it against them more that they weren't able to uh, beat UConn last year and therefore let UConn off the hook just like St. Joe's did and – um, Kentucky did and a couple other teams did but uh, I can't, I just really like watching them too much. Uh, he had 34 points, um, only 6 rebounds, so I was exaggerating there but 34 points on 15 of 19 shooting against UConn and they lost 81-76 And it's a fun little uh, like 6 degrees of Iowa State after Syracuse, we got Got Doug Hogue's brother Justin Hogue plays at Iowa State. Iowa State gave us Wes Johnson. Just a nice little, nice little circle of friends there. Yeah, I think we're planning on doing something like uh, the teams you should root for in the tournament since it's the first time in forever. Oh not yeah, in it. they're definitely on the list. Uh, not only because of my love affair with them, but because they do have the slight connections there. Yep. All right, so. Uh, so that's kind of your, your tentative final four there, listeners. And that obviously is just based on one person's bracket, uh, whom we've also called out as kind of flawed. But but that said, it's it's fun to do this and, and kind of mess around with upsets without getting too crazy. Obviously, when we get to the real thing, that's when you kind of have to, to take those bigger gambles on those on those, uh, those 12s and 13s. And I guess that's where um, me picking Iowa to go to the Elite Eight comes from. Uh, anything else before we close, Dan? No, looking forward to hopefully getting uh, win number 19 and going out on a, a high note this weekend, although I'm not overly uh, confident. But it will be nice that Christmas won't be facing um, either the number one pick or, uh, you know, the best defense in the country. So hopefully he gets to, you know, drop like 25 points to end his career or something. Agreed. I, I think that that's the one thing we're all kind of united on is that, uh, a win is, is the to me the second best scenario. Um, I, I think most importantly, I'd like to see Christmas really put up a great game. But obviously, a win and the great game would be the the ideal ideal result. So we'll see. But uh, should be another eventful week in, in Orange Sports. Next week we'll uh, we'll pretty much talk full tournament and maybe talk ACC tournament a little bit just to uh, you know still feel like we're in the conference even though we've sort of been 
been banished for for the week based on the ACC Legends uh, situation. Yeah, it's weird. I'm actually going to be down in in the area, not for the tournament this year like I did last year, but um, I'm kind of okay. You know, I'll watch the ACC tournament here and there, but it it is kind of weird that we're being excluded and we're the only team not there. But hopefully the ACC sticks up for us and helps us get us and leniency from the NCAA and then everyone will Shut up about this. Uh, we should never let the Big East thing, which is still mind-numbing <laughs> to say. Um, I know that won't happen. I know even if the ACC does stick up for us, no, the Big East, uh, not quite truthers. The Big East, like, <laughs> weird segment of the Syracuse populace that thinks that, you know, we should cut football and, you know, only play basketball in, you know, little gyms in big cities. Uh you know, hopefully the ACC can win some fans over and help uh, Syracuse out when it comes to all the, the never-ending NCAA matters that I think we're like 125-plus days uh, on at this point. That's perfect to me. That's a good place to end us. Uh, so, yeah, I want to thank Dan, as always, for uh, for joining us here. Thank you for having me, as always. And for everyone else, you've been listening to Troy Noons is an absolute podcast here on Blog Talk Radio. You can subscribe, review, rate us on Blog Talk and on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you next week. Go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.